Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. This is Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I sat down with Karen Johnson, the Medicare officer for HealthNet, one of the largest health insurers here in California, and also part of the Centene Corporation, a Fortune 200 company serving much of the United States. In today's episode, we learn of Karen's journey from Candy Striper to nursing school, then to law school, and ultimately how she's a mother of five, has moved 16 times, and now leads a health net here in California. We also learn of HealthNet's efforts leading into 2021, including some changes and some great additions to their health plan, and also what HealthNet is doing to address healthcare disparity here in California and how Centene is working on that throughout the United States. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and feel free to find other episodes of Pop Health Podcast by visiting pophealthpodcast.com, finding our YouTube channel, or of course, listening to us on Apple Music, Spotify, or Stitcher as well. Thanks everyone, enjoy the show. Karen, share with us something uh, about you that might surprise the audience, something outside of the workplace. Uh, well, you know, as I think about it, Gavin, um, I've lived in four states and moved um, about 16 times. Woo. And, uh, and, and we have five children. That, those are some good numbers there. So uh, <laughs> really quickly, the, uh, the 16 moves, was there any inspiration behind that? Yes, um, actually, uh, a, a few things. So, you know, most of those moves were um, a result of being relocated for work. And with that, um, it required, you know, the initial move, which put you in corporate housing. Then there was, you know, renting a place for a bit of time while you determine, you know, where you wanted to ultimately land and live. And then finally purchasing something. So within all of that, it, it necessitated quite a few moves. Oh, yeah. And I know your last move uh, we talked off the air was from D.C. to here uh, to work for our, uh, with alongside someone that you've known in D.C. But there was something uh, that helped you say yes to that. What was that? Yeah, that was my youngest daughter. <laughs> uh, she um, when she graduated from college, uh, she decided that she would come to California and relocate. And she'd never been here. And so um, it, it was a little unnerving to have her go, you know, on the other side of the country. And so when the opportunity presented itself uh, for me to um, relocate and, and take a new job here, um, we we decided that it was it was a good move for us. Moved here um, about six years ago and, and haven't regretted it. Awesome, Karen. So at what point in life did you decide to jump into healthcare? Um, you know, I, as long as I can remember, I had an interest in healthcare, but what probably sticks out the most was um, when I was a candy striper. Um, that was early high school, probably late middle, uh, junior high. And um, it was, you know, you, you dressed up as a volunteer in a, a uniform that had stripes on it. And um, I volunteered at the local VA, the Veterans Administration Hospital that was near me. And, uh, and so I was, I was hooked on healthcare from there. Nice, so your background, you became a nurse. And then you decided to jump into law school. Uh, tell us briefly about that. Yeah. So when you know when I was in my nursing program, it was um, it was a four year program, and uh, and my nursing school was really focused on preparing nurses for administrative work versus um, kind of clinical bedside. 
And what I found probably around my junior year or so is that I realized that there would be opportunities for me to do things where I could have a greater impact um, in the healthcare space. Really, uh, I, I saw things that made me know that I, I wanted to be able to have a greater voice. And, um, and so, you know, I had some family members who um, were attorneys. I had, you know, some adults that I respected and talked to them a bit about advocacy. And they said, you know, there's nothing that would stop you from going to law school. Um, you don't have to have, you know, an undergraduate degree in any particular area. You just need to, to perform well on that LSAT test. And, uh, and so I had a really good advisor in college who also kind of supported that and, and reminded me that, you know, it was important for me to finish my nursing program because there would always be a need for nurses. Yes. And so yes. I did that. And, uh, and so initially, you know, I, I, I started my practice as a nurse, but then I very soon thereafter um, got myself into law school. Okay, nice. So today you're the Medicare officer for HealthNet, which is part of Centene. And some of our audience may know what Centene is. It's such a large organization, but uh, candidly, I've been in healthcare for almost 20 years and I've heard the name Centene, but I didn't know exactly what it was. So before we jump into HealthNet, can you talk about uh, briefly the parents, Centene? Yes. So Centene, it's, it's based in St. Louis. And um, it's a, a, a very large, you know, a Fortune 200 company uh, with about $75 billion in revenue. Um, and it is really a, um, a multi-lined um, enterprise that uh, primarily works in the government-sponsored space. We focus on the underinsured or the uninsured. We do also um, provide health insurance for the commercial space too, employer-sponsored plans. But really our sweet spot is government-sponsored programs. Uh, we also have some specialty companies like um, dental, uh, vision, et cetera, pharmacy. Um, but really at the, at the heart of it, we're a, a multi-line managed care enterprise. And, um, and so it's our parent company for the local plan here, HealthNet. Okay, great. And then can you briefly share, again, I think most of our audience probably knows who HealthNet is, but uh, share about HealthNet and then share about your particular role as a Medicare officer. So here in HealthNet, uh, we, uh, we've been um, in the market for a number of years and we offer um, a variety of healthcare products and lines of business and really geared towards being able to serve um, residents of California, no matter where they are on the spectrum from, 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 from newborns to, to seniors. Um, and so we offer um, a variety of different programs, one of which is we provide programs that are in the Medicare space. And so I am the Medicare officer here for um, California and my primary responsibility is to drive the strategy for our Medicare line of business, of which we have several products that fall under Medicare. So I have responsibility for strategy, uh, for ensuring that we execute on that strategy, uh, for driving new products, um, ensuring that our network is, um, is accessible, that we meet you know, clinical quality requirements and that we meet our um, contractual requirements that we have with um, the federal government, which is the Centers for Medicare and, and Medicaid. Okay, great. Thanks, Karen. Now, 
For HealthNet and your Medicare side of business, I believe you said uh, a little less than 200,000 members. And part of what makes HealthNet different than Medicare is the ability uh, with your Medicare Advantage plan, for example, to offer supplemental benefits, which is different than supplemental insurance. Can you briefly share with the audience uh, the difference between the two and then maybe some examples of supplemental benefits? Right. So in traditional Medicare, um, you know, people have coverages and you hear it referred to as, you know, Part A and Part B. And so what that means is that once you're eligible for Medicare, you can have access to coverage that provides physician coverage, physician visit coverage, as well as hospitalization. Um, you can also, you know, buy, in addition, coverage that will um, take care of your medications if you, if you, if you need medications. That's in the traditional world. So in the traditional Medicare, you know, you have that Part A and Part B. And then if you like, you can also buy for a cost your additional pharmacy coverage. Um, but there, there are gaps. There are things that are not covered in that traditional Medicare. And so for that, there are supplemental plans that you can purchase. And that supplemental plan can, you know, cover things like um, additional co-payments or co-insurances that you might have in your plan. It may cover your um, costs for your pharmacy co-payments, et cetera. That's what a supplemental plan is. You'll hear it referred to as a, a, a gap, you know, a, Medi, a Medi-GAP program. Um, in a Medicare Advantage plan, it's different. In a Medicare Advantage plan, what happens is the health plan actually contracts directly with CMS. And by contracting with CMS, then what we do is we basically take over the administration of the Medicare benefits for those people who choose to join our plan. And so what they get is they get their physician services as well as their hospital services covered. And they also get their Part D, which is their pharmacy coverage. And so you'll hear Medicare Advantage plans referred to as Part C plans. And that's because they're covering all three. They're covering physician, hospital, as well as medication. And then the real beauty of a Medicare Advantage plan is that we have to, at minimum, provide the same benefits that one would get in their traditional Medicare, but we also have the ability to offer additional supplemental benefits over and above that. And those supplemental benefits are things that people really find attractive. And so there will be things like um, uh, vision and eyeglasses, for example, are covered as a supplemental benefit. Um, We provide dental coverage, um, dental benefits, which are not things that you get in your traditional Medicare. We provide things like transportation, transportation to your medical um, visits. Uh, We provide things like over-the-counter benefits. So people can go into, you know, their local drugstore and get things like Tylenol or buy a blood pressure cuff if they need one because they have a certain amount of dollars that they can spend in over-the-counter items. So those are the types of additional supplemental benefits that we, that we offer. Okay, nice. Now, I know one of the supplemental benefits uh, can be for fitness, and we're recording uh, during the pandemic where maybe access to gyms and things like that aren't available. Can you give us an example of how folks have utilized their fitness benefit or maybe some of the changes to the fitness benefit uh, this year? Yes. So, you know, historically, um, what we offered were, you know, your traditional people could, they could select a gym to go to. Um, We actually have a pretty 
few unique options where people can also, if they choose, they can access fitness credits and they can use them differently than just going to a traditional gym. But when the pandemic uh, set in, we had to really quickly pivot and figure out how we could still make available to our membership those who wanted to take advantage of fitness benefits. And so we were able to partner with our vendor partners and we uh, were able to offer um, fit kits that we could send to people's homes. We mailed them to them. And within their fit kit, there were things that they could use to, you know, uh, stay in shape at home. We were able to offer um, Zoom and webinar type fitness classes that they could take online. So they had the fit kit at home, which had like things like bands, et cetera, you know, bands and they could then, you know, tune into a class and be guided to how to use them and they could, you know, do fitness that way. Uh, so we really tried to, to make it so that people could still take advantage of fitness if they wanted to, even though they were being asked to shelter in place and not be able to go to their traditional, you know, uh, fitness gym. So we just talked about the fitness benefit and how that's changed during the pandemic. What else has changed at HealthNet and how have you guys responded over the last six months? So we've been able to do um, a few things that we're that we're really proud of and that we think really helped um, our communities. One is that, um, you know, CMS made the decision that allowed us to do two things. One is we were able to offer telemedicine benefits to our beneficiaries um, who had elected to join our plans. And so what that meant was we had to ensure that our providers had access to um, you know, telemedicine options, as well as where possible to make sure that our, our membership knew that that was something that they could do. And so uh, we were able to offer about $13 million or so in grants wow. in wow. the various communities to providers so that they could have the type of equipment that they needed to be able to engage with their patients um, and to do things so that they could see them you know, via telemedicine. Uh, we did and provided training for providers, you know, in terms of how to document, um, because it's very important that they have appropriate documentation when they do these types of visits so that they can bill appropriately and that we in turn can get reimbursement from the federal government for those visits. So we did a lot of training with the providers um, and they really appreciated that. Uh, we also then did outreach to our members. You know, we did telephone calls to members. Um, particularly those who we had identified as being high risk. Yeah. So we had yeah. our case managers and teams reach out to those folks to let them know, to check on them, first of all, to make sure that they were okay and if there was anything we could do to assist them. But also we wanted to make them aware that they could get their visits um, through telemedicine, you know, whether it be FaceTime or whatever mode they, they could do so. And, um, and that was really well received by our membership. Nice. And then finally, what I would share that we did was we made the decision that we wanted to ensure that our members who needed it could get meals. And so we marshaled throughout the company nationally to provide and to send meals to um, our members who had been identified as high risk. We were able to stratify them and then to get meals sent out to them, um, you know, and these meals were um, also customized based on what their health needs might be. So for example, if someone was a diabetic, then our vendor was able to send them meals that would be appropriate for a diabetic, for example. 
Um, and then, you know, finally, what we've continued to do is to kind of check back in with members okay. to ensure that, you know, they're doing okay, uh, because we think it's very important to, to keep a pulse on on our members, you know, in this very difficult time. That's great. That's a great, uh, great response. I know um, I don't need to get into it too much, but I also know your internal team shifted very quickly and pivoted to be able to successfully uh, work from home, which then gave you the ability yes. to focus quickly on your members, um, which is great. So we're recording here, uh, getting towards the end of 2020, looking at 2021. What can you share is going to be uh, new in 2021? So, um, you know, we've just uh, really ready to launch now our new benefits for 2021. And so a couple of the things that we've been able to do is we've been able to enhance uh, some of our benefits, you know, and to, to and by enhance it, I mean, for example, um, in some cases where we had a premium, we now have been able to reduce it to zero premium awesome. for the plan. We've been able to reduce some co-payments uh, for things um, for people so that they have less out-of-pocket cost when they select our plans. And then um, we've also <clears throat> been able to uh, to add um, some uh, supplemental type benefits. So we've been able to enhance, enhance things like um, our acupuncture and chiropractic services, for example, which is really important here in California because we serve such a diverse uh, group of Medicare beneficiaries. So having those types of options, um, really um, people appreciate that and are able to take, take advantage of it. Uh, so, and then the last thing I would say that we are doing new for 2021 is we've really been able to um, enhance our pharmacy benefit. And so for those medications that people take, particularly um, for chronic illnesses, things like um, high blood pressure or diabetes, et cetera, we've been able to put those medications that they utilize into a tier where there's very little out-of-pocket costs for people. So we don't want them to have barriers that prevent them from being able to get their, their medications because oftentimes seniors are on fixed incomes. And so it's really important mm -hmm. that there's nothing that gets in the way of their ability to be able to get their medication. That's great. Uh, supplemental benefits are, are definitely something my mom takes advantage of. She's a Medicare Advantage mm -hmm. member and uh, she loves her gym membership. I know you uh -huh. as well. So um, it's great that you have the fit kits so people can still be encouraged to continue. That's right. So Karen, uh, we've been doing the show for almost five years now. We've done the health plan mini series. This is our third year and delegation happens a lot behind the scenes. And some of our audience who are mostly healthcare professionals know what that means, but can you explain what delegation means between a health plan and a medical provider? And I'll leave it open-ended for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So here in California, we're a little unique in that we have a delivery system that um, really works primarily with large groups of physicians, um, often referred to as independent practice associations, IPAs, which are uh, comprised of primary care physicians, as well as they build a specialty network as well, so that, um, you know, people who have selected these providers have access to their specialty care, um, they will work with, you know, certain hospitals, et cetera. And because of that model, what our health plans do is we actually contract with those, with those entities, we contract with those IPAs. They typically have a management service organization that they work with who kind of provides for them their back office, you know, this, so they provide services for them like claims payment, billing, 
you know, the administrative staff that supports the office, et cetera. And so what we do as health plans is we contract with those IPAs. And by virtue of doing that, we delegate to them many activities. And so we can delegate things to them, such as credentialing, to ensure that the providers who are going to see our members have the appropriate credentials, that they're licensed appropriately to see patients. Okay. We delegate to them the ability to process claims, for example. Um, we delegate to them the ability to uh, do some types of utilization management. So to do things like pre-authorizations, to process referrals, to initiate referrals, those types of functions um, as a health plan, we can delegate. So we kind of assign the authority to those organizations to perform those specific activities. But what that doesn't mean is that we delegate the accountability. So we are ultimately still accountable for the outcomes that are a result. And the way that we do so is we do have very specific oversight of those delegated functions. We meet with those groups regularly. We review and audit what they're doing to ensure that they are complying with the requirements that we have agreed to in terms of our delegating to them. Great, thank you so much. Uh, You can explain it way better than I can, so I appreciate (laughs) that. Um, So lastly, Karen, as we uh, wrap up the show, one thing that I know about you is that um, you're involved in addressing healthcare disparities. And obviously in our society today, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on with, when it comes to lack, lack of access, disparities, prejudices. Um, talk about uh, what you're doing to address healthcare disparities. So um, one of the things that our CEO um, was very intent on was, and this isn't new simply because of what we see happening in, uh, you know, in our country right now. This is something that he's had a passion for for quite a while. Um, but we saw a very real need um, as COVID continued to evolve and you started to see the numbers across the country. You saw that disproportionately people of color were being negatively impacted more so by COVID. Right. They were um, being, they were more sick. Um, and frankly, they were dying at a greater rate than non-people of color. And so um, this goes back to really what we would describe as systemic racism. It goes back to things like not having um, access to healthcare in communities of color. It comes back to not having providers who are culturally sensitive and have culturally competent abilities in treating people of color or different ethnicities. And so because this has been something that has existed for a very long time, it really has just reared its head in a really ugly way over the last, you know, eight to nine months with COVID, where you really see the huge gap in access to health care um, timeliness in, in how people are treated, how aggressively people are treated. There's even differences in how um, and what medications are given to people based on where they live and what they look like. And so we formed nationally a healthcare disparities task force. It is comprised of experts from around the country. It has um, healthcare executives from very large hospital systems. 
There are um, executives who um, are over um, large healthcare, um, um, I would say, um, organizations like the National Medical Association. Uh, we have um, experts who are who work in the community health and fairly qualified health uh, center space. Just a variety of experts who we pull together who are now working with our internal team. Um, and so we've got representation from across the country from Centene employees like myself. Um, and what we're doing is we're looking at data <clears throat> that we've been able to collect on our own membership. We're also using data that's been collected nationally because uh, a couple of months ago, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid came out with data that was very alarming. Um, talking about where they saw the huge disparity and how um, the outcomes for people who were um, impacted by COVID. And so what we've been doing is taking that data and we are formulating strategies around how do we as a company, um, you know, accelerate, if you will, access to care for people. How do we um, continue to help educate and train um, providers so that they can be culturally aware that they have cultural competency and taking care of people. And if you think about here in California, we're a great example where, you know, and if, when I look at my membership, for example, about 70% of our members, English is a second language. That just right there tells you just how diverse of a membership that we serve. And then when you break it down even further, we see that we have a number of our members who uh, come from various racial and ethnic backgrounds. And so it's really important that we are training providers to be aware of those things, that we are ensuring that there are adequate numbers of providers in communities, that we are aligning ourselves with affinity groups that um, where we can source you know, not just physicians, but nurses, respiratory therapists, pharmacists, you know, all of the different groups of healthcare providers. And so that's the work that we're focused on because we believe that we need, we, as I've mentioned to you at the beginning, because we serve a large number of underinsured and, um, and, and people who are um, not insured, we know that those are the folks who can be caught in the cracks and who will fall in the cracks. And we believe that we have not only a corporate obligation, but a societal and moral obligation to be at the forefront of that. And so I'm really excited about the work that we're doing. It's something that, um, you know, helps to, to honestly balance, you know, my, my day long, you know, meetings of, of teleconferences and Zoom calls. I really get to do something where I feel that I'm having the opportunity to help make a difference and hopefully that we can really make a dent in health equity yeah. in this country. Yeah, that, those are all really good points. I appreciate those specific examples um, mm -hmm. that you're working on, Karen, and it's neat to hear. When I first saw that you're part of the Healthcare Disparities Task Force, I thought it was a Centene thing. Okay. And it might be Centene, but it's also many others, it sounds yes. like, joining together. So I want to applaud you and HealthNet for that. Um, because I do know some health plans, you know, shy away from certain lines of business or certain demographics that might be more challenging and not necessarily the easy, you know, the easy population to right. run a sustainable or profitable business on. Um, so you're really 
you know, taking on a big challenge. And um, I bet you sleep well from what I can tell because you're, uh, <laughs> you're doing good work. So thank just, you. Yeah, no problem, Karen. And really just want to thank you um, for joining the show. Uh, you know, you know, I didn't hit record at the beginning. <laughs> um, and so you were super gracious and I was embarrassed. Um, audience, I told Karen off the air that is four years ago, I did the same thing and actually lost footage of the guest. So um, really appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.